do it for so long that that prick stops, that that little nudge stops. But we try to counteract that, those wrongdoings because we don't want to let them go because there's a certain amount of pleasure that we experience in our flesh because of the sin that we involve ourselves in. So we just think we'll counteract it by coming to church or reading our Bible or maybe even doing some service jobs for the church to put a little more spiritual assets in the bank to counteract our spiritual liabilities. And we try to live our lives that way. We know we're sinning, but we rest in the fact, we think we're resting in the fact that we have enough good in the spiritual banks to to cancel out those spiritual liabilities. And what happens inevitably one day when we keep toying with sin and we see our consciences to sin and we don't call it sin like it is, eventually we become more and more numb and unaware of it and we commit, quote unquote, the big sin. And it may be adultery. It may be stealing. It may may be just, just list them. And what happens? All at once, our spiritual accounts are totally out of whack. We feel an enormous amount of guilt We feel an amazing amount of fear. The fear is, oh no, I had everything under control. I had my accounts balanced. I had a little more good in the bank than I had bad, so I was going to go to heaven. And now, if I don't get this straightened out quick, if I die right now, I'm going to hell. And that's the seed that Satan plants in our minds. He wants us to live in fear. He wants us to live in condemnation. He doesn't mind if we do those good things, if we're putting our faith in those good things, because he knows that faith is totally misplaced. He wants us to live by the lie of this spiritual net worth philosophy. It works in his favor. The reality is, one day we are going to die. We're either going to die or God is going to return. But our lives on this earth are going to come to an end. And our proverbial notes, our proverbial accounts are going to be called. And if we could truly live by this spiritual net worth philosophy... We would be totally living in fear until all the accounts were tallied. Did I have enough good saved up to cancel out my bad? That would be the effect if we actually did live by that philosophy, if that's the system that God had in place. And the reality is we would falsely feel safe in our spiritual net worth as we live that life until that day of reckoning comes. And that's where Satan wants us to be. He wants us to have a false hope. He wants us, he's very content in us resting in our goodness in our ability to live moral lives. He doesn't want us to put our our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The reality is, though, any spiritual liability condemns us. If you fail in just one point of the law, you break it all. The reality is, if we have any spiritual liability, even one little white lie, we're spiritually bankrupt. But for the grace of God. And that's what James is trying to point out to these people. Don't hang on to your little hobby horse sins. Don't try to justify your sins. He's pointing out that the sin of partiality is what it is. It is sin. That's why he compared it to these other sins. He didn't want to make it all about partiality. He wanted to call that sin out because it was one they were dealing with. He wanted them to see how important it was to deal with it. The reality is when we truly understand grace... We know that one asset trumps every spiritual liability. One truth trumps our sin. And that truth is the gospel. That truth is 
that our Father in heaven sent His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, should not be shattered into a million pieces like that tabletop. They should receive eternal life. Not because they had enough good in the bank to cancel out their liabilities, to cancel out their sin, but because He sent His Son to live with us, to be persecuted for us, to die for us, and to live in in victory over sin and death. How do you know if you have that asset? How do you know if you truly understand and are living and walking in the truth of the gospel and the truth of the message of grace? I want to ask you this morning, why do you do the good things that you do? Are you trying to earn your way into heaven? Are you trying to, as we discussed this morning, cancel out your sin? Are you trying to get enough good in your spiritual bank to cancel out the bad in your spiritual bank? Is that the way you live every day? Are there times when you've committed a sin and you're just paralyzed in fear? What if God returns today? What if I die today? My accounts are not in order. When you do good, are you expecting something in return? Are you expecting God to give you a pat on the back? Are you expecting someone you love, someone in the church to say, hey, good job. Is that why you do the good that you do? Or do you simply do the good that you do because you love God? Do you come to church because you have a desire to worship God? Or do you come to church to make yourself feel a little better for this week? Do you read your Bible because you love your God so much that you want to learn everything you can about Him? Or do you read your Bible to just make another deposit in your spiritual bank? Are your good works seeking a result? Or are they themselves a result? You say, Kevin, what do you mean? I'll say it again. Are your good works seeking a result? Or are they themselves a result? Is the good that you do an effect, an overflowing of the relationship that you have with Jesus Christ? Or are you doing the good that you do to try to earn your way into heaven? Because you can commit every hour of every day to doing good works. And you commit one little sin, you're going to hell. But for the grace of God. The reality is, you're not going to hell. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the reality is, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, those good works will flow from your heart. We sang a song this morning about your heart will keep on singing. Your heart sings because you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. The singing flows from that relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what James is trying to tell these people trying to tell these Jews who are scattered across the, country, across the nations. He's trying to tell us today. We can't do it ourselves. Now, the truth of grace doesn't give us a license to go out and do whatever we want. The reality is, when we understand grace, we have no desire to habitually go out and do what we want. As I've said before, we're going to fail. And I would never tell anyone that if you truly understand grace, you're going to live a perfect life because there was only one perfect man. But the reality is, the, turn, the, the focus of your heart will be to serve Christ. The focus of your heart will be to learn more about God because you love God. 
The reality is these good works that James is talking about, this practical fleshing out the Christian life all the way through this letter that James wrote is a result of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, it has the beautiful benefit of deeply enriching that relationship with Jesus Christ when we follow the spiritual disciplines. But those disciplines are actually a result of that initial relationship. What a beautiful gift that is. What an amazing gift that is. And I challenge you this morning, if you are living your life with an attitude of trying to do enough good to cancel out the bad, you're going to get tired. You're going to get wore out. And you're not going to succeed. Because the reality is your good can never cancel out your bad. And it doesn't have to. The price, the penalty, the wrath has been paid for your sins. And it's been paid in full by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He wants us to live a life of obedience. And as we said, a life of obedience is not a burden. The obedience that He seeks, the commandments that He has laid out, are for our good, for our rest, and for our peace. And He gives us the power and the ability to do as James has instructed us to do, to do as the Levitical law instructed us to do, to do as God commanded us to do through His Son Jesus in saying, love your neighbor as yourself. The reality is we make it too hard and that's what Satan wants us to do. He wants us to make it hard so that we will give up and fail. And it's just not that hard. Yeah, life is hard. But what's not hard is putting our faith in Jesus Christ and trusting and knowing that He is who He says He is and He will do what He says He will do. So I challenge you this morning to stop trying to pile up enough good works and ask God to change your heart and to strengthen you, and to heal you. And praise God that He paid that price and that we don't have to pay that price. What an amazing act of love that was. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, Lord. I thank you, God, for the truth of your love, the truth of your grace, the truth, Lord, that you pay the ultimate price. God, that our spiritual accounts are settled, Lord, not because of anything we have done, but because we have put our faith and trust in you that back in in Calvary, you paid the price, the only price that could be paid for the cost of our sin, for the cost of our wretchedness, Father. And you did it, Lord, because you loved us. And we praise you and we thank you for that, God. In Jesus' name we pray.